I'm Lindsay Moore and welcome to my podcast, In Conversation with SMEs, or Seriously Motivated Entrepreneurs. Founder of Agnes Marketing, I'm a business development and marketing advisor to small businesses. In challenging times like these, we need to support our small businesses more than ever. So my aim through this podcast is to bring inspiration, motivation and energy to those looking to start, scale or pivot their business by hearing the stories of others who have been brave, followed their heart, kept their nerve and achieved something quite remarkable. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking to my favourite small businesses and acclaimed entrepreneurs and asking them about their highs, their lows, their wish-had-knowns and what single piece of advice they would give themselves now if they were starting out. In this episode, I speak to Tom Hainsworth of A.W. Hainsworth and it was a real pleasure to talk to Tom. Hainsworth are an eighth generation family business in Pudsey, Yorkshire. They are one of the oldest businesses in Britain. They're a wool mill and they export globally. They've got the most incredible heritage and a royal warrant. And the conversation, you will hear what they do and how they've had to innovate and constantly go after new opportunities over the years in order to remain relevant to their markets and to explore new opportunities in in new markets. And Tom speaks very candidly about the the advantages of working and running a family business and also very candidly about the challenges, uh, the unique challenges really of being involved in a family business. I know that you're going to enjoy the next half an hour or so as much as I did so enjoy. Tom Hainsworth, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really been looking forward to this this chat with you. Let me just, uh, for, for the people listening today, let me just introduce Hainsworth, which are a business I've respected and admired for so many years. Um, but many people probably have never heard of you. So from your, from your pudsy wool mill over in Yorkshire, Uh, You're an eighth generation wool and textile mill, one of the oldest companies in Britain. You have a royal warrant um, and your strapline is the fabric of a nation. And I don't think anything could be more true because we've we've all seen your cloth and we've all encountered it without even realising it. So I know that you are the people who produce the scarlet royal guard and ceremonial dress cloths that we see at ceremonial occasions and royal weddings you supply the cloth for our protective uniforms and our fire services uh, your cloth in Steinway pianos in on railway trains you do collaborations with designers um, and Harrods and Liberty and John Lewis stock your throws and your blankets so you're an incredible business and I'd just like to take the opportunity to ask you a bit about your rich heritage really well, thank you, Lindsay, for that uh, introduction. Yeah, I mean, as a as a business, we're a family business. We started in 1783. Um, our original business was really supplying military textiles. So uh, the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, the Thin Red Line, you know, were supplied some of the scarlet cloth right way back then. We then really were in public procurement, so we supplied into the fire service since the first Metropolitan Fire Brigade started in 1866. Um, they all used woolen cloth um, and it's really been military textiles that's really taken us forward. So before after the um, before the First World War, they had a war in Sudan where 
um, the UK were uh, fighting over there with conscript armies from uh, India. Uh, and they had this cloth which they wore, which was a sand dust colored cloth. And they came back to Europe and they said, we would like this sand dust colored cloth uh, for fighting battles in Europe. And sand and dust in Urdu is khaki. And that's where khaki uniforms came from. And we developed the khaki uniform in 1899. Um, and that then was the main uniform for the for the First World War. Obviously, with military textiles, we did very well in, in wars, um, I'm afraid. Um, and then um, we then, after the, the wars, our, our fabrics became in less demand for woolen cloth. And they became the ceremonial uniforms of the British Army and other uh, royal households around the world. So we do the, the Swedish, the Norwegian, the Dutch uh, royal households, as well as the UK. And uh, demand reduced. So we thought, well, we have to do something to maintain our business. So we really started the process of diversification. And we looked at where is where are woolen cloths used and how can we continue with our business as a family concern. We were fortunate because, in effect, we were relatively small. And after the war, demand reduced so rapidly that the larger organizations and larger textile mills, which dominated Bradford, uh, really struggled because the, the number of employees and the size of the operation meant that it was difficult for them to reduce like we could. Um, so we, we managed to therefore pick up uh, other areas of business and areas of expertise where our, our craftsmanship and skill really resonated so we moved into uh, billiard cloth uh, and piano cloth and as you mentioned we we supply Steinway and that technology in effect is the same technology that we use to felt fabrics which are used for the ceremonial uniforms outside Buckingham Palace the red scarlet is a felted cloth it's woven wide up to we weave up to four meters wide and felted down to about one and a one and a half meters and that felting skill and the technical ability and the craftsmanship to be able to do that is fairly unique to us and allows us to hold specialist niches for woolen cloth um, for high-end markets like pianos and billiards um, and ceremony uniforms around the world. So, you know, that really takes wow. us through to... <laughs> quite sorry. When you said you started diversifying, what sort of period of time was that that A.W. Hainsworth started diversifying? Well, we really did that in the 50s right, and 60s okay. uh, and 70s. Uh, I think the opportunity came to pick up uh, specialist markets then because of the, the decline in the UK textile industry. Mm -hmm. um, we weren't immune to that because obviously our military uh, sales were reducing considerably. So we did have manufacturing capacity uh, and skills available. Uh, and we then, you know, we took on these speciality woolen uh, areas um, which have served as well today but really it's all about maintaining relevance we have a fabulous history and heritage um, but you've got to be relevant to the modern world um, the markets for Steinway pianos for example you know we do 100% of Steinway's uh, woolen felted cloth and that's the the technology that controls the pressure on the key it, it is if you're a concert pianist it's all about touch and feel. And the bit that gives you the touch and feel is the woolen cloth that comes from Hainsworth. 
And if you think about billiard cloth, if you're a professional billiard player and you're playing on a slate bed at the highest level, it's about touch and feel. And the consistency of the billiard cloth is what gives you the best touch and feel. You, that is a mature market, but we have a very strong dominant position in that market. And we have the best technology that's relevant today as it was you know, 20 years ago. We keep improving it marginally, um, but the market's still there and the demand for that product is worldwide. So we supply into our biggest market is, is China, actually for billiards and pianos. And they're the biggest consumer of billiard cloth and piano cloth. And the premium market is actually our brand. So that's um, how we survive. And then in more recent times, we've we've looked at saying, well, watch the, watch the reality of Hainsworth. And we, we talked about that with our strapline, which you very kindly worked with us on all those years ago, was to talk about the fabric of a nation. So we're now more into not just woolen cloth, but actually fabric uh, per se. So we do um, non-woolen. So we do worsteds and aramids, products called Nomex and Kevlar, which go into protecting individuals from heat and flame and also go into aviation and rail where there is a high risk of, of fabrics burning um, and we can bring an aesthetic and a look and a style to those products which is unique uh, and that's really about creating those fabrics so we're really about weaving fabrics for specialist niche applications that are uh, interesting now and in the future. You're in a very niche area here, aren't you? I imagine with extremely few competitors globally. Yes, I mean there are. I mean textiles is a huge market. It's, it's a massive market globally. I mean it's probably it's not the biggest single market. We think about everything we touch and wear and and have around our homes um, or when we travel. Um, but we're really focused on um, niches within that market and being really specialised in a few of those niches. Uh, and trying to get an in-depth understanding um, with in those markets. So focus is really important to us and having technical people that can understand the market, but also utilising our diversity to bring forward innovation is what makes us different. So we can cross-fertilise ideas. I've talked about pianos and billiards as an example there but also in aviation and fire protection for firefighters. Uh, there is a cross-fertilization of technology that one works in, in aviation and keeps the internals of the plane safe, and the other one actually protects our firefighters, and it's a similar technology, double cloth, triple cloths, um, that, allow that allow us to do that. So, But we can only do that by having individuals that really understand the, the requirements of the market and have worked in that market for a a period of time to be able to innovate and bring forward products that are relevant and the best in market. In terms of finding people to come in and learn those skills, because I know you're in you're in Pudsey in Yorkshire, do you find it easy to find people? Uh, certainly when I started in 28 years ago, something like that in textiles, I think the would I have suggested to my my friends and family that textiles is the right career? Uh, I don't know whether I would. I think the the business and the market and the demand was in decline and i think you were not really attracting a lot of young people into the into the area it's a slightly different with fashion you know there's fashion there's a lot of people coming out of fashion colleges 
but really understanding the technical nuances of different textiles and fibers is uh, a limited limited a pool of people that have that skill now so we really have to set about having a a long-term training program within the business that brings people in uh, and in, we do this with family they have a two-year apprenticeship where they work through throughout the business but they also work in um, we try and put them in competitors and uh, customers and um, suppliers uh, and they do a week in different uh, in different factories and it gives them a broader understanding of the business and the context in which Hainsworth sits and brings that knowledge um, forward and meant to make sure that locally in in our area in West Yorkshire we keep as much of that skill here as as possible as I said it's a global market and if we lose the, the element of that craftsmanship and that skill and that knowledge out of our area um, and it goes to to China we lose the whole skill so you know we are we have become a lot more collaborative and supportive as an industry and we try and work with our local competitors and local suppliers to make sure that that skill set is retained in Yorkshire uh, and gives us a longevity that um, is important for a family business and um, it's important to me personally that that it uh, allows us to go on to the next generation in a in a strong way always know that you'd be part of the family business to be honest I had no idea what I wanted to do um, I did chemical engineering uh, I worked in in Germany for a company called BASF for a bit came back to the UK um, and uh, I think my dad said well you know there's a, a role here we need someone to help us with our quality systems and it was a time as I don't know whether you've heard of BS5750 ISO 9001 that was just a, a coming into force and they needed uh, someone to help install that across the business. It was a, so that's what I did. I worked with a team of consultants that we had at the time to to implement that, and it's a great way to to learn about the business because again, you you write processes and procedures for each part of of the company. So that was my way in. Um, I can't say I was particularly brilliant at it. I mean, I think I was fairly systematic, um, but it allowed me then to to think the bits that I enjoyed and what I enjoyed was the commercial aspects of it um, and the brand building parts and really the the strategy strategy parts so I was very lucky then to be able to lead a small part of the business at that time which was the protective technology business for for firefighters and that allowed me to work with companies like DuPont and WL Gore um, who actually were pretty inspirational at that time and we had a very very close partnership uh, and the way that worked for us with DuPont we would really be their innovative partner they're a massive global American business I think they do about 25 billion dollar turnover um, but little Hainsworth could be their innovator in our in fire protection in the UK and um, it uh, allowed us to really get under the skin of the market and understand the details of innovation and fiber and I worked in with them and, and had a my secondment was over to live in Geneva and work in their laboratories 
which wasn't a bad on research and development for uh, FR protection for, for fire brigades. Um, so that was really my routine, and I really enjoyed that. It was a, a great way of learning. And, and Gore today still remains one of my favorite businesses. I think there are WL Gore is a family business, third generation, and they have grown to about 3.5 billion in three generations, all through innovation and bringing new products to market. Uh, and I, I was lucky enough to partner with them on developing protective technologies for riot police. And it, it gave me a real a good insight into how they manage their business and their collaborative approach and collegiate teams that they, they put in and how they empower the individual to really make a difference. Uh, and for me, that type of culture has always some, been something that's inspired me uh, and what I would like to see sort of embedded within Hainsworth in order to give it longevity. I think, you know, I mean, certainly it's the flexibility to change and maintain relevance. I think I talk about relevance quite a bit, but how you manage your teams is also different because, you know, my kids have a different upbringing to what I had and and you've got to therefore be flexible and reflective of their skill and the way they work and the way they engage to make sure that you as an employer are relevant to them in the future. And when I started in Hainsworth, it was a very hierarchical type of structure. I think my dad was called Mr. David and my uncle was called Mr. John and you basically doffed your hat and you came into the room and, you know, and, uh, you know, it was very, very much the, uh, yeah, the senior people ruled the roost and what they said went. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, not that that was wrong, but it, it's not necessarily relevant um, to, to now and to how we now need to work. And the agility of our business is really important. And therefore, the engagement with individuals that you can attract the best you need to give them space to to succeed, and you need to give them um, the the framework in which they can um, make a difference. That leads me on to another thing I wanted to ask you. So, you're obviously managing director of a multi generational family business, and um, well, I'm actually not managing director now. Oh, I apologise. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I did in I I did that for 16 years. Um, I stepped down in 2015. Um, and we set up a collegiate board, uh, which was another bit of my experiment to, to drive agility. And the collegiate board means that little parts of the business are then led by individuals. And then we get together as a, as a board and uh, have the idea being that we empower each individual. And that works pretty well when the business is growing. That, that's, that's pretty good because you can get on with it and you can move things forward fast. Um, as things we're now in this you know, COVID crisis. Um, it then becomes actually very difficult to to manage in that way because you need to drive individual, you need someone at the helm to really be accountable and have the authority to make the hard decisions that uh, are necessary. So, you know, but it's been in a bit of an experiment, which has been the last five years been pretty successful. So at the moment we are, uh, we are now actually going to go out and trying to find a, a, an MD uh, to, to lead the business uh, going forward. Uh, as we um, as we as a family want as a multi-generational family business the the governance of the business is really important because any md needs the authority uh, to lead and the ultimate provider of that authority is the the owners and the shareholders and they need to be able to give that 
authority in a structured, efficient way that means that all the shareholders, especially when you've got multi-generational families where the shareholding becomes fairly spread, are, are heard. And the advantage of a family business is that we can put in a framework that allows the uh, family to be heard in the in the process of recruitment and engagement of any uh, MD. And we now have uh, a family council, which is made up of the different strands of the family. Uh, they are um, they meet uh, quite regularly to talk about what's the the vision and the the values that the business want. Uh, make sure that therefore they provide guidance to through a non-exec chair to the executive that we're following that uh, that vision and our vision is fairly clear you know we want to be engaged as a good employer in the local community uh, and make sure we create a healthy business um, for the future uh, of not just the family but all the stakeholders the suppliers the customers and are very much our employees. I always think, oh gosh, I think I'd be rubbish in a running a family business because I think I'd always feel conflicted about do I put the family first or or am I putting the business first? And is that something I suppose is that something that you found challenging over the years? For me, you know, none of my uh, my siblings or my uh, children are in the fa- in the business. My cousins are in the business, and their children are, are in the business as well. So, for me, I you know, for me to put the family to put the business first is relatively easy. Um, but for I can imagine for my father when I arrived in the business, it was a conflicted position because he wanted to make sure that I had a good job and opportunity uh, and um, could be successful so and I recognize that that conflict exists and is really hard to manage because as a business as you get down the generations and people get less shareholding you know you need to put the, the business first ahead of the family so the governance model um, and having a family council where you've got representation from each strand of the family allows for a good debate, um, allows for people to be heard, and allows us to put the, the business first before the uh, family. Doesn't mean to say that we don't recognise the importance of family in the business. We absolutely do, and and the apprentice program that we have as a two year program is open to all family members to apply to. And we are very keen as a as a family council and an executive board to get family members into the business to go through that uh, apprentice program so that we do have longevity. But it does need to be done uh, with the family or the, or the business uh, in mind as the first priority. What would you say would are the biggest challenges that you face operating within a family business? What, what do you find the most difficult? I think it's... It's, it's what you touched on, the, the challenge of managing your own family. Um, if you've got your own siblings in there, what's the purpose of the family business? You know, the ultimate purpose isn't just to provide employment for your children. The ultimate purpose is to provide a successful, well-organized and well-run organization that provide, enhances wealth in the local community and the well-being of the local community beyond that of just your family. 
I think uh, the challenge is getting all the family that work in the business to also align behind that purpose. And it's one thing saying that as a purpose is another thing living and breathing that every day. And, you know, we have now in Hainsworth, we now have a significant number of shareholders that are no longer working in the business. Their understanding of the business is it's important to give them an understanding of the business and it's important to be able to listen to their views and hear their views to give us clarity of direction going forward. And they also need to buy into the purpose and vision of what we're talking about. So whole marrying all those things together is is really important. And having, I know I talked about it before, uh, the governance, non-exec directors and um, family council is vital in making that work. So I started working with you, Tom, probably 10 years ago, maybe. And at the point where you were really looking at your brand and what you what you stood for, how important is brand to you now? And what does that mean to A.W. Hainsworth? Well, brand is the essence that actually brings the whole company together. It's far more than just what is communicated to the, the customers. It actually allows us to align behind a purpose. So, and that drives, if you've got good purpose and everyone believes in that purpose, that drives motivation. And if you've got good brand that resonates with the market, that leads to great opportunity. And the things that make business successful are when you've aligned high motivation with high opportunity. So the the work that you did, pulling all our disparate companies and disparate uh, products and fabrics together under one brand recognition which is the fabric of a nation allowed us to pull those increase our motivation and increase our opportunity in the market so that was actually critical Lindsay and a a very good often you know the the best things are the things that actually are at the end of the day simple because they say what it does and Hainsworth the fabric of a nation says what we do and it's easy and simple for people to get behind in all our markets so that that was that was great and we've actually translated that into chinese as well in china we have oh. ying fang bao chi oh, which means the uh the elite foreign textile company um and china actually do that as, as a way of branding businesses they tend to call the name of the business um by uh, the descriptor you know and we've seen our, our market share in that part of the world by taking that idea and that story also grow yeah I I mean I found that whole period fascinating working with you and I work with other small businesses as well and obviously being entrepreneurial businesses um, not just family businesses now but generally small businesses often they'll go with opportunities over the years and they'll at the point where I sometimes talk to them they can have quite a diverse offering and what they're struggling it with is their point of difference. So in terms of the whole point with brand, for me, when I worked with you um, all those years ago, it was 
it was finding you did have a global, very diverse brand in lots of different markets and sectors. But you had a commonality. You had a huge heritage for starters. But with many businesses, it's it's they'll all have a common thread, which is what's led them to all of those opportunities and those diverse clients and projects that they've worked in. And for me, the purpose of brand is really to understand what is the common thread that brings that together. Because often it's about it's about the way they work or the ethos or like like for you you know wool at the very heart of it and what you can do with wool and 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 that's what I find so fascinating about brand you know and they're the probably the projects I enjoy the most which are looking for the common thread really because like you say if you can all unite up behind something that's distilled down into something quite simple but meaningful across the business you've cracked it really and it's been yeah I think that's a very yeah very valid point, Lindsay. Very valid. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been a joy to see um, to see how where that's taken Hainsworth over the years as well. So it's it's um, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity of that all those years ago. Can I ask you then, Tom, to 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 finish almost? If you were now talking to your younger self, what would your advice be? I think starting out, explore as many things as you possibly can. Be as curious as you possibly can uh, and focus on what you enjoy. I think that's great advice. That's great advice. Tom, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and, and hearing about Hainsworth and your not just your rich history, but also your your constant innovation and, like you say, curiosity for new <laughs> markets and opportunities and um I've 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 been in love with A.W. Hainsworth for what is it now maybe ten years now since we worked together all those Great years ago and the the romance of, of of your business it will never wear off for me so thank you for spending the time today to talk to talk to me and it's lovely really lovely to see you. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of In Conversation with Seriously Motivated Entrepreneurs. I'm on a bit of a mission to provide help and support to small businesses, as well as my podcast. I'm working hard to provide lots of helpful and practical advice to help small businesses get really good at business development and marketing, from free masterclasses and cheat sheets to downloadable guides and consultancy sessions. If you would like to access this information, it's all available on my website, agnesmarketing.co.uk. And if you'd like to join our Facebook community of other small businesses looking to access and share marketing advice, tips and support, please search for Agnes Marketing on Facebook. And would you mind if I ask you something? If you've liked what you've listened to today, can you please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as it will help other business owners to find it and it might just provide the inspiration and motivation they need at this moment in time. Thanks so much.